Take your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 26. We are talking about life at peace. This week I want us to think about what is God's path or God's way to peace. Uh, if you enjoy hiking like I do, uh, I'm very thankful for well-worn trails. Anybody else thankful for, you ever made a decision on a hiking trail, you weren't sure which way you should go, but it looks like more people went that way than the other? I've done that many times. Have you ever had the opposite feeling where you went the less traveled way and it got less and less traveled and you thought that was, <laughs> that was a mistake, right? What we're going to see from God's word today is that there are some well-worn paths that God has prescribed, that God has laid out, that God has directed us to live at peace. Josh read Isaiah 26, um, and it's going to be really, really helpful for us. But I want to do a quick review from last week, uh, because last week was all about a very simple idea, but I'm not sure we believe it. Peace is possible. What do I mean by that? Jesus offers us, in the midst of all the mess, real peace. Why don't we believe peace is possible? Well, we don't believe it because we live in a sinful world and we are sinners ourselves, aren't we? And that makes a mess of things, right? I love, I love talking to couples right before they get married and about a year after they've been married. It's a profound experience, isn't it? Right, because they're like, it's gonna be amazing. She's the love of my life. We're perfect together. Wow. She finishes my sentences. Life is amazing. I can't imagine how much bliss we're going to have. Then they get married. Amen. That's a good thing. And all of a sudden they go from dates and hanging out and lots of fun to 24-7. Wow. About six months in there, we're like, my spouse is a sinner. They need Jesus. I hope they can change over the course of this marriage. And the spouse is like, him too. Why? Because sin makes a mess of things. The, prob the problem in our marriages, with our parenting, in our workplaces, in our world, is that sin makes messes. It breaks things. It's kind of interesting that our culture wants to downplay that reality and try to fix all the, all the other things, but, but we need God's help because sin breaks things. And not only does sin leave us in storms, right? Storms disrupt our life. Busyness and all these other things disrupt our peace. And if you remember last week, I showed a picture of that guy with his head spinning. And, and so many of us feel that way. But Jesus offers internal peace, the answer for our sin. That's, that's the point of the cross and the empty tomb. He makes us, it makes it possible for us to be right with God. If you're here today and you're like, man, I just, I just don't know how to have a relationship with God, we would love to talk to you about that. It's not hard, right? But then Jesus also offers us, and this is the place I think many times as Christians we don't believe, he offers us internal peace every day. You can wake up in a messy, broken, loud, confusing, frustrating world with God's peace. And you can have it throughout the day, and you can wake up the next morning with it. Now, no one has it perfectly, okay? Comes and goes, there's struggles in there. But I think one of the things we need to do is stop thinking that peace is something we'll get one day. When Jesus said in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, he was talking about everyday living. God wants you to know and have his peace. And so we looked at the storm, and Jesus says, peace, be still. And while our world... Would, would yell and scream and cheer this time of year to be more, 
push, do things, get, you know, improve. And I'm all about growing. I think God wants us to take steps of faith, right? We should grow. But sometimes we don't hear the other voice, which is God saying, I want you to live at peace. Peace be still. So how can you experience God's peace today? That's the question I told you I would answer last week. And we're going to answer together from God's word. Let's pray together. God, would you lead us as we study your word into your peace? Your word tells us that we need your grace and we need your peace. And God, we agree. We do. Our hearts are so easily distraught and distracted that we are crying out to you to do what only you can do, to help us to behold you, to be still, and to live and walk with you day by day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I want to reread Isaiah 26 that Josh just read at the offering. <laughs> Verses 3 and 4. You keep him, the Bible says, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. What do we learn about having peace in those verses? Is it possible? Yes. Where does it come from? Where does it come from? Go ahead, Hannah. God. God is the giver of peace. You will not find peace in this world or in your own pursuits or in lining up your life just the way that you want. The only place you can get real, lasting, inner peace is from God. Where is the battle for peace? Where is it happening? In your heart, in your mind. Right? The battle is in our minds. It's not in fixing our circumstances. That's why Romans chapter 12 says that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is why the intake of God's word every day is so important. We talked about it last week. Here are some resources, but there's no magic resource out there. But if you spend time daily with God in his word, it will help you. You will learn. You will grow. God will show you things. He will help you in your thinking. What is the key action that God wants us to take in this process? You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you doing what? Trusting. Because he trusts in you. So, if our daily lives are lacking peace and we're agitated and we're disturbed and we're bothered like crazy and we're just, what's the breakdown? What's the issue? Trust. Trust. Faith. Actively trusting God. And how reliable is God? Perfectly reliable, right? Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. And here's the thing. We don't think it's that simple. We really don't. We think it's got to be more complicated than that. 
There have to be other factors that have to be adjusted because there are a bazillion books out there that can help you. And God is like, do you want to live in peace? Trust me. No, I mean, but this relationship, trust me. But my job, trust me. But my bank account, trust me. But this trial, trust me. That's what God says. Now, what does active faith look like? Before we talk about that, I want to kind of give us the big idea and then answer a couple questions. The big idea this morning is this. Followers of Jesus can experience God's peace every day as we actively trust him. Followers of Jesus can know God's peace each and every day as we actively trust him. Now, living at peace doesn't mean you don't experience sadness. It doesn't mean that things don't bother you. How do we know that? We just finished Ecclesiastes. There's a time for everything, right? There's a time to laugh and a time to mourn, a time to be sad, a time to experience grief. It's part of how God built us. God himself experiences sadness, the Bible tells us. And we know at the tomb of Lazarus, shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus famously did what? He wept. He experienced sadness. Did Jesus ever experience frustration or things that bothered him? Sure he did. Sometimes with the disciples, he was like, how do you guys not get it yet? Come on. Right? I think every parent can resonate with that a little bit. Every person who's discipled someone else or walked with them, you're like, ah, Things bother him. Jesus was bothered by the religious leaders of his day and how they handled themselves. And then right before the cross, Jesus finds himself in the garden. And how bothered is Jesus? Deeply. Such that he what? Sweats great drops of blood. I, we, we don't know what that like turmoil feels like, but, but being bothered is a part. There are things that should bother us. And there are times we should be sad. But as Christians, our lives ought not to be marked by a pattern or a regular status of life that is negative and bothered. And by the way, as American Christians, we have, we have started to get uh, typified. We've started to, to feel that way, I think, as a group. And that, and that should be kind of like a warning sign for us. Right? Emotions and the things we feel and experience, they're not everything, but they're kind of like indicator lights on a car. They tell us what's going on. One other quick observation here. What about mental health and medicine? I grew up in a pharmacist family, so medicine is near and dear to the world I grew up in. And I think we can all admit that the human brain is incredibly complex. That, that the more that it's studied, we realize, we realize the less we know. And, and, and the human brain is this convergence of thinking and physical and spiritual, right? And so I think we need to be careful to just blanket say um, that there's no value to thinking about brain and brain health and medicine. Uh, I also don't have a PhD in that world, so I don't want to overspeak into that world. But I do want to acknowledge it. And different people experience different things. I have a brother who's in special forces who's been 
in all those combat zones, and he has friends who've been through traumatic brain injury and all those things. And there is a piece of that that we, we need to not ignore as Christians. I was in Maine with my brother at one point, and uh, we were on vacation, and uh, he was, we were walking down the sh- one of the streets, and he said, you know, there's a funny thing that happens to me. He's been in war zones and seen all kinds of stuff. He goes, whenever I walk past a big truck, because he's experienced IEDs and that whole world, like a dump truck or a big uh, a trash truck or anything big, he goes, my brain goes, don't explode, don't explode, don't explode, don't explode. In York, Maine, <laughs> the coast of Maine. So our brains are complex things, and I think it's important to acknowledge that there can be some value there. So, how can you experience God's peace? We're going to do something different today than we normally do, which is going to turn all over our Bibles, right? Five times, you can hang with me. And uh, I don't have the verses on the screen, so you got to go with us. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, it's on page 816 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chair rack. This is a different kind of sermon today. Usually we go chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph. Today I just want to bounce around and give you some key ideas from the Bible on peace. How do you experience God's peace? I got five. Got a little acrostic if that helps you remember. If not, you can ignore that and just write down the ideas. How do you walk in God's peace? Number one, put Jesus fully in charge. Probably the most important word in that line is fully. Matthew chapter 11. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. These verses have become famous. There's a great book that was written called Gentle and Lowly. I think we still have some copies of that that talks about God's heart towards you. And it's a very helpful book. Um, And this is the verses that that comes from. In fact, uh, the author would say, and I, I think we'd agree with him, that this is one of the only verses that kind of Jesus says directly, this is the heart of God towards you. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, welcoming. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You say, that's what my soul needs. That's peace. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Here it is again. And you will find peace, rest, For your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Put Jesus fully in charge. So the idea there is that that God is, his heart towards you is gentle and lowly. But oftentimes we miss what Jesus says as a command, right? Take my yoke upon you singular, he says it again, my yoke, verse 30, is easy, and my burden is light. I watched a show uh, a number of years ago, quite a bit, that was really helpful for me in business. It was called The Prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T. And basically, it was the CEO of Camping World, so pretty prominent businessman, and he would identify struggling businesses with potential, And he would go in, he'd get to know them, and then he would make them an offer for some percentage of their business to help them. And it was, there was always this really powerful moment where he would write a check. I don't know if you've ever dreamed about writing a really big check. I could write one, but it would just bounce. 
But he, he, would, he would sit down and he would go, after looking at your business, understanding it, talking to my team, helping them to look at everything, he goes, I will write you a check. Let's say it's $250,000. There's this moment. He writes, two, I'll offer you $250,000 for, say, 30% of your business. And that was always a powerful moment for the business owners. They're like, it's right there. But then he would say this. This offer is for 30% of your business, but if you take it, I am 100% in charge. And almost without fail, people might negotiate a little, but most of the time without fail, people would take the check. And you know what was fascinating to watch? It was fascinating to watch the businesses that succeeded and the businesses that failed. Do you know what the difference was? It was without fail, the same thing. Certain business owners humbled themselves, said this guy knows what he's doing. He can be a huge help. He has resources and ability and wisdom. He can help our business. And they would say, you know, show us the way. And they'd humble themselves. And almost without fail, the business would transform. It's, it would get clarity. They, he would help it grow. It was amazing to watch. But probably about a quarter of the time, it would get rocky. And that was almost without fail because the business owner would struggle. They'd been 100% in charge before. They would struggle with someone else being in charge. And when he said, hey, this is the direction they should go, they would go, okay, that's great, but we have this idea. Hey, but we have this vendor that we're committed to. We have this outside counselor we trust, and they'd wrestle with him. And it would always create tension, and it would almost always end badly. And I think this is one of our great struggles as Christians is that Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Put me fully in charge. If you think about Jesus as your savior, we could, we could write that word savior with a capital S, couldn't we? Are there other things in life that you know, save you or help you or rescue you in some way, sure. But you only have one Savior, capital S. But I don't think we often think in the same way about Jesus as Lord with a capital L. And what we try to do, and this is why we get frustrated and overwhelmed and why we lack peace, we try to add Jesus' voice to all the other voices and give him some percentage of being in charge. Well, my wife is 20% in charge and my boss is 20% in charge and my, myself, I'm like 30% in charge and Jesus is 20% and, and God is 20% in charge and we live in this constant tug of war. Every morning we wake up and we say, how can I please all these lords in my life? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. <laughs> my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what Jesus is talking about, what God is talking about there for you is being over everything else. So for lack of a better way to say it, you have one direct report. God is in charge. Jesus is in charge. You say, but there's all these other voices, right? And when you add to, his yoke is not easy and his burden is not light. It's one more thing. But when you put him fully in charge, it changes 
everything. Because you don't wake up in the morning thinking, how can I make my boss happy and my friends happy and myself happy and my, you wake up in the morning and go, what can I do to please God today? Well, my wife wants me to do X. What does God want me to do? Well, he wants you to love your wife. He does, that's part of the equation. But there are times I have to tell my wife, honey, we can't do that. Or we need to do this. Because Jesus is fully in charge. And for many of us, we're kind of functioning like our life is this crazy org chart. But as Christians, we actually have one Lord. And we find rest for our souls when we wake up in the morning and say, what would you have me to do? What do you want me to do? Second way we find peace, Galatians chapter five, go to page 975 in your Bibles, 975. (coughs) This connects very closely because this is actually part of how we walk out Jesus being fully in charge. Galatians chapter five. This is the famous fruit of the spirit passage. Second way we live in peace. Second trail marker, if you want to say it that way. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. So when the Spirit's at work in us, we're putting off sinful life. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, if we have been given eternal life and spiritual life and had our sins forgiven by the work of the Spirit, which the Bible teaches it's, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all at work. Here it is. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I think sometimes in our circles we have cared more about being smart than walking in the Spirit. This is a very simple idea, just like putting Jesus fully in charge, but it's actually very challenging to live. I still have FM radio on my expedition, right? And what happens with your radio dial as you get further away from the, the hub of the, the radio station? Starts to get a little scratchy. <laughs> More sc- Anybody in that zone where you're like, how much can I tolerate this before I have to change it? I've been there. Do you know that if you're a Christian, God the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you wake up every morning with the, the, the being of the Trinity that Jesus calls the helper. So I have a very simple question that I I, I will start by asking myself. How often, day by day, do I ask for help? Or am I just trying to go through life figuring it out on my own? I think one of the tendencies when we make our faith about our smarts is that we don't walk through each day listening to the Spirit. 
Because can I tell you what would happen if we listened to the Spirit every day? We'd have a lot more gospel conversations than we do. We'd probably offer a bunch more encouragement to people around us than we do. We would say challenging things when we should say them. You have, I have, God the Spirit living in me. And he's there to comfort me. He's there to convict me. He's there to guide me. He's there to help me understand God's word when I read every morning. He's there in me. And we're like, man, I am so lost today. I feel like I'm living alone. We're not. We have the Spirit. So when Jesus is fully in charge, guess what is actually at work helping that to live itself out? It's the work of the Spirit. Do you hear his voice? It's the path to peace every day is that we know he's leading and guiding us into conversations and decisions and choices. But if we're not careful, we can do exactly what the Bible warns us not to do and we can quench, we can turn down the volume, we can disregard the spirit in us. Keep in step. Walk in the spirit. Can I tell you something? If, if with God's help, we actually do that, we will have incredible experiences in our lives. Read the book of Acts and watch what happens as God works through his spirit. Now, I'm not promising us some sort of Pentecost experience, but I'm telling you, imagine what your life would look like if, and maybe you're doing this, I hope you are, but imagine what your life would look like, my life would look like if I was walking through each day and saying, God, would you just lead me? And this, when you lead me, I'll follow. Keep in step with the Spirit. Number three, turn to Psalm 51, page 474. We're just in Psalm 46, and we'll get back there right here at the end, but Psalm 51. How do we live at peace? I actually uh, have two letter A's in this number three, but they all revolve around the same thing. Psalm 51, verse one starts this way. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Who's writing this? Who's writing this? David. What do we know about David and his general relationship and attitude towards God? What do we know? He's a man after God's own heart. So he never goes through any rough patches. He actually goes through a lot of rough patches. In our men's meetup uh, a couple years ago, we read through 1 Samuel and kind of David's life. And I was stunned by how many valleys and hard times David went through versus the stories we kind of put up on posters and teach in our kids' classes, right? But David is recognizing his significant sin with Bathsheba, verse two, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Skip down to verse seven, purge me. He says, with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, we have a great picture of this today, and I shall be whiter than snow. I mean, snow's amazing, isn't it? And terrible. I knew once I got inside the building, I would be good today. Randy was out faithfully taking care of the sidewalk. 
By the way, if you're willing to come early on a Sunday and help with shoveling or sidewalk stuff, give, check with Randy and he'll, he'll get you on the team and then we just never know when it'll happen. But he was out salting and, and snow blowing and uh, I was walking from the end of the parking lot and the wind was just, it was not fun. It's kind of like miserable. But I was like, I get inside and I look out the window. It just has a powerful effect, doesn't it? You take the junkiest yard and give it four to six inches of snow and you're like, wow, (laughs) beautiful. (laughs) The problem is that snow melts. You're like, not beautiful. But God's forgiveness is not like that, is it? As far as the east is from the west, when he forgives. And and guys, part of of God's own work in my life this year is, is he took some stuff that was pretty deep in my soul and he dug it out. And, and like Achan, right, we're all tempted to take our sin and hide it under the tent. Or like Adam and Eve, to hide from God. And God is kind when he kind of rips the infection out, isn't he? And as long as we're harboring and hiding our sin, we won't know God's peace. Do you see what the verse says? Verse 8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right, a steadfast, a healthy, a stable spirit within me. Part of experiencing God's peace is dealing with our sin. And that's an everyday sort of thing, isn't it? Because everyone in this room sins every day in lots of ways. But maybe some of you, like me, have something that has gotten entrenched. Maybe it's a little bit even addictive, if you could say it that way. And there's shame attached to it, and there's fear, and there's guilt. And so what's the temptation? The temptation is to bury it deeper and deeper. And when we do that, what do we lack? We lack God's peace. Our relationship with him is distant and and fragmented. It's one of Satan's great lies that when sin comes to the light, everyone will be disappointed in you. Or everyone will be shocked or everyone will be, you know, um, saddened in some way. Do you you know what? Can Can I just say this to our teens? When God does a work in your heart, whatever it is, and I hope our parents are living in this world, but like, bring it, bring it to the light. That's where we find grace to help. That's where we find God's mercy. And if you bring it to the light and you have a bad experience with someone, who, like, how could you? Come to, bring them to me, we'll talk. Because we're all sinners who need help. We need God's mercy, we need God's rescue. Admit your sin. Number four, turn to Philippians chapter four, page 982. All I'm trying to do this morning, page 982, Philippians chapter four. All I'm trying to do is give you some, some posts, you know, some direction posts on living at peace. And maybe all five of these will hit with you. That probably won't happen. There's probably one or two that will really connect with where you're living right now. And God will be like, you need that. Good. Philippians chapter four. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what about that thing that troubles me? What about that thing that's overwhelming? Bring it to God in prayer. Now, if you're like me, sometimes you give it to God and then you take it back. You gotta give it back to him. You gotta give it back to him. But you know God's big enough to handle your cares and worries? Financial, family. Now that doesn't mean God will immediately rescue you. But it's a powerful thing that as we on our knees before God, up in the morning, spending time with him, go, God, these are the, these are the burdens I'm carrying. Can I give them to you? What does 1 Peter say? Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Why don't we cast our cares on God? Maybe we like to worry. Hope not, but some of us are prone to that. Maybe we don't think he cares as much as we care. But think about God's love, his ability, his resources, You say, well, this thing's too big for God. That's a pretty crazy thing to say, isn't it? But we think that. But I've asked him too many times. You know, sometimes we're like Paul. We've got some sort of thorn in the flesh, some sort of struggle that we want, just want God to take away. And what does God say instead? My grace is enough for you. My strength is made perfect as you struggle in your weakness. Cast your cares on the Lord. And you'll find a peace that passes understanding. Last one, go to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. How do we walk in God's peace? This is not exhaustive. Peace is actually a huge theme in the Bible. Interestingly, it's often paired with righteousness. Peace and righteousness are often paired together. If you think about uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, they actually kind of cycle around those two themes. Doing what's right and having God's peace or living at peace. We're not even going to talk about it here, but God has tons to say about our relational peace and how to live with each other in peace. I tell the teens all the time, and I remind myself, it takes two people to fight. I want to fight with you. I don't want to fight. You can't fight. You can hit me. You can hit me as many times as you want, but if I don't fight back, we don't have a fight. Right? My wife and I get on the crazy cycle sometimes disrespect and unloving and on and on and on and on. We're like, blah, 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 blah. But it takes two of us, doesn't it? I love Proverbs 15, verse one, the soft answer turns away wrath. God cares about relational peace and, and one day God is gonna bring ultimate peace, isn't he? Have you dreamed about that day? Have, have you dreamed about the day really when the lion and the lamb lay down together? When, when it really is like the garden, when sin is gone, pain, weakness, illness, when it's all at peace, right? God's word has a lot to say to guide us into peace. So here's the last one for us as we think about walking in daily peace. Psalm 46, and Danny read it. Um, It was encouraging to my heart. Verse 10. Verse 10, this is page 472. Be still, the Bible says, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. 
the God of Jacob is our fortress. I think one of the great threats to our peace as Americans is that we're not still and quiet very often. I just started listening to a podcast of the New Testament that I'm going to do for the next 90 days or so. But isn't it interesting how we can get so rushed and busy that we're like, oh, I'll listen to the podcast on my drive into work. We kind of force even God's voice into these busy, you know. And then before I know it, my mind has wandered and I'm like, I think I did it. (laughs) It's done. I'm like, what happened there? There's a reason we talk about, Jesus even talked about finding your closet and getting alone with the Lord. It would quiet a lot of our souls if we could just find a spot in the morning for 10 or 15 or 20 minutes and be still and quiet with God. It would help us a lot in knowing God's peace if some of us would stop running seven days a week. God told us how many days it was good to work. And for us to think we could be more productive, we can accomplish more and better and things will be awesome if we just get that extra day. I remember talking to a businessman who's since gone on to be with the Lord. He, I actually remember as a high schooler, I got the opportunity to preach. And after preaching, his name is John Milliken. And he was fairly well known in our church. He's one of our deacons, but he, he owned greenhouses. That was his job. And I'll, I remember two conversations I had with him. One after I preached the first time and he, he came up to me and, and as, as uh, older people often do, he didn't have a lot to say, but what he had to say had purpose and power. He just looked at me and he said, Matt, he said, God has gifted you to preach. And if he calls you to do that, I just remember that voice of wisdom and maturity was encouraging. But then I remember a second thing he said to me. You know what he said? He said, my greenhouses are always closed on Sunday. He goes, because you know what? If you can't make money in six days, you ain't gonna make money in seven days. (laughs) I've heard it said 90% with you and God is better than 100% by yourself. Quiet. Stillness. He said, I would go nuts if I did that. Well, find a healthy way to do it. But it will be good for you. It will help you find rest for your soul. So as we start this new year, it's my prayer that you would know God's peace. If you think about it, each of these is actually a way that we actively trust God. When we put him fully in charge, we believe his authority is the best. His ways are the best. They're good. When we embrace the Holy Spirit's leading, we are trusting God's voice. When we admit our sin, we're trusting his mercy. When we cast our burdens on him, we're trusting his care. And when we are quiet and still with him, we're valuing and trusting in his presence with us. One thing is needful, to sit at his feet. A pastor friend of mine said a couple weeks ago, and I wrote it down because I knew I'd be preaching on peace. He said, peace is not the absence of trouble without. Peace is the presence of trust within And it's my prayer you hear Jesus' voice. Peace, be still. Let's pray together. Our great God, we long to know your peace. We're thankful for the peace that we have with sins forgiven in Jesus. And Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here in this room who doesn't, has never put their faith in you, 
trusted in Christ to forgive their sins, to make things right with you. We pray that today would be that day. For those who have, we want to hear the words of Jesus that he would give us his peace, not like the world has. A perfect peace, a peace that passes understanding. A peace that guards our hearts and our minds. But we, we just confess that this is a crazy world. As sinners and sufferers and saints, as people living in storms, please guide us into your peace that we would walk that well-traveled road as Christians before us have, as they will after us, but of your peace day by day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.